Okay, so in our, and this is what's funny about the balcony, is it's hard to see the front windows well from here, but number two up there has Jesus teaching in the temple, but it's a very different scene. Here's another one. This is at First United Methodist Church of Forest City, North Carolina. So, great comparison. Okay, anyone else? Do you want to keep looking? Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to keep these, so when you're, when you're finished with them, please return them. Okay, so here we... Here we have another example of Jesus teaching, it looks like to me. But you're comparing this with number 12, the ascension. So it looks, it looks similar. Jesus is similar, has a similar stance. Right? I would compare this to number 2 as well, similarly. It almost looks like Jesus teaching in the temple, but here he's older. He's not younger, right? So there's some similarities. And you can see some similar colors, right? Holy Spirit up on top. What I like about these windows down at First United Methodist Church is there's, there's a little explanation in the window. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me, right? And with our windows, you kind of have to squint and guess, what is he doing in this picture? Okay. And Harriet, I know you're far down there. You're not, you're not apart from us, though. You are still with us. And you probably act right. Okay. Well, it, uh, we've got just about another minute, minute and a half here. Anyone else do this pre-class activity and find something interesting in your example of another of Eridge's works? These are from North Carolina. These are other examples as examples of Eridge's work. So this class is going to be a little difficult because there's no good way to have this many of you sit facing north. So you may notice that after a little while, you get a little tired of looking over your shoulder. You may need to turn your whole body one direction or the other. If you wanted to stand, I'm going to stand the whole class, right? Uh, if you want to stand, that's okay too, and that might be better for your neck, right? But we are going to focus almost a majority of our time today on the healing window. Have you started the recording yet, Brian? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, move on down. So as we're starting the class here, I want you to just spend a minute looking at the window. I'm not going to tell you any one thing. Try to clear your mind of what you've been told, what you think you know about the window or the people in it. And I want you to just spend a few minutes looking at the details. Look at the colors, look at the flowers, the backgrounds, the hats, the children, the animals. Look at all the details. Jesus is going around barefoot, very good. So what are some new things that, you've, that you're noticing that you haven't seen before? Okay, there's a dove. There's a hand at the very top. What does the hand represent? Do we know? The hand of God, the Father, reaching into the world. This is the creation, right? So um, isn't Michelangelo who has that beautiful image of God reaching out and touching Adam's finger? Is that Da Vinci or Michelangelo? You know which one I'm talking about, right? It's the same concept. God is, God is reaching down. And then the dove beneath it. What else do we notice that we haven't noticed before? There's no door. 
Aha, right. We talked about that a few weeks ago. There is no halo. Every other lancet around the room, Jesus has a halo. Where's his halo here? So it's a slightly different style. A motorcycle. A motorcycle, right? Yep. Oh, yes, all the youth know that there's a motorcycle. What about here in the very middle, on the bottom? The phoenix, right? Representing resurrection, new life, rebirth. So while we're in this observational stance, I want you to focus in a little bit more on Jesus. And don't give the answer right away, but ponder for just a moment. What is this supposed to represent? Oh, I've never thought of that. Interesting. Okay. Is he ascending or is he descending? Okay. So we have return, we have ascension. Could this be anything else? Yeah, great. Okay, if it were the ascension, he should have some scars in his hands. This also could be an imagination, an imagining of the transfiguration, but it's not. I'm going to leave you hanging for a bit as we dig into the class. I'm not going to give you the answer. It surprised me to find out, but um, so get comfortable. And as I said already. This is going to be a weird class because we don't have good seating. But um, as a follow-up from our last class, we were talking about the artist Arthur Erridge, and I had said that I contacted a church in, uh, near Colchester, England, to see if they could send me a picture. Another one of those secretaries, I said, can you send me that picture? And they sure enough did. So here is a picture of a window that was dedicated to Arthur Erridge about 1961, 1962, following his death. And it is spectacular. The one I had was this big and grainy and black and white. It is gorgeous. I want to pass this around um, because it commemorates the artist here, but it also shows how much he was loved, right? That the artists around him wanted to dedicate a window to him. And it shows the, the, um, the St. Luke drawing, painting, the virgin and the child. So I want to pass this around for your perusal. So during today's class, I've already said this, we are going to spend a majority of our time on the healing window. And the main question uh, that, I've, that I've asked of you now is what does this center panel depict? But before we get there, um, we talked at the very end of last week how Arthur Erridge passed away before this window was installed. So I, be I believe all the other lancets, so this whole room was completed and this still had the old four lancet design in place. And if you want to see a picture of that, I found a good old picture in the archives from the outside of the church of the four lancet design. Again, you don't have to stay where you are for the hour. If you want to get up and move, if you want to get a different angle, come look at this. You're more than welcome to do so. So in this, for the four lancet design, the old design uh, that was put in in 1902 was still here when Arthur Erridge passed. He had done some of the initial design work and it's believed that he had already by that point perhaps uh, sketched out the image for Albert Schweitzer on the top left and David Livingston on the top right. And that uh, correspondence that we had read last week has said that Mr. Lee uh, would take up the project and it's believed that he then took up Silas Johnson and Wilfred Grenfell. Uh, so there, that may be a different artist's hand imitating, copying, trying to be like the hand of the one above. Again, these would have been sketches that would have then been put onto glass, right? So there's 
there's the initial artist who does all the, this is what I want the picture to look like, and there are other people who come behind and cut the glass, color the glass, paint on the glass, and set it, right? Those are all different people who have very, very gift, uh, very big gifts and very specialized gifts to make all these things happen. So, where did they go? There we go. Um, back in 1957 in May, uh, George Payne, again, this is the New York, New Jersey company, sent a letter to the Whipple company saying, see, we are sending you a layout of the front window, which is one inch scale, and we would like you to have, uh, to have you prepare a design which would have something to do with healing, hence we call this the healing window, and also incorporate, if possible, the triumphant Christ and a trinity symbol. This particular window is being given by a very prominent doctor, and it is thought that we could include in the window the four medical missionaries, which are Dr. Livingston, Dr. Wilfred Grenfield, that's how they spelled it then, Dr. Schweitzer, and one other whose name we are not sure of at this time, but perhaps you will know. The window is in the north, and so the coloring should not be too dark. Of course, because sun is east to west, this, the north window is going to get the least amount of light. So as you can see, if you compare the coloring of this window to the side windows, east and west, there are lighter colors here than a majority of the others. There's a lot of darker, darker colors, tighter textures in the lancet windows, but they're Bigger pieces of glass, lighter colors here in the healing window. Yes? We are going to talk about that very thing. So you're going to just have to hold your horses. Okay. So do we have a microphone up here, Brian? Okay. I'll keep reading then. I'm sorry. I should have thought of this beforehand. So that was in, the letter I just read was from 1957. Then they, they started making these windows, crafting these windows, the front six, the back six, and all the, t all the while, right, as we know, they're, they're a little, there are some delays that they didn't quite expect. Well, finally, August of 1961, okay, so check, where were you in August 61? Okay. Uh, another letter. At last we have received a drawing of this window. This is four years later. And it's a one-inch scale layout. We are also returning the original sketch as it may be useful to Mr. Erridge when designing, when making the new design. The new design should be in keeping with the windows already installed. And the donor's thinking is for the large portrayal of Christ in ascension in ascension seen in the center panel and the two side panels we should portray replicas of four medical missionaries two on each side dr grenfell of labrador dr schweitzer of lamberena dr livingston of africa and dr silas johnson of cameroon okay so that was 4 years later so we get this design this is also about a, a few weeks before Erridge actually passes away. So New Jersey and we are still thinking, oh, it's the same artist. But then, unfortunately, he passes away in the meantime. So they had to change plans. They finalized the design. They keep going with it, right? Um, I have a few notes here. Who would like to read? Who would like to read some of these notes here? Just like two weeks ago, I have some of these letters from the correspondence. Don't all jump at this at once. Okay, here's one for Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Jan here, yes. Okay, so this is from the Whipple Company, the maker of the windows, to uh, F.C. Weeks, who's with the Payne Company in New Jersey. Dr. Schweitzer, in September 14th of 1961, Dr. Schweitzer and Dr. Livingston are already incorporated in the original design, and therefore, from the point of view of preparing the new design, we have sufficient detail at this stage 
but we have little or no information on Dr. Grenfell and Dr. Johnson. We have checked with our local reference library, who have helped us before on such matters, but all they can give us are very few historical notes on Dr. Wilfred Thomason Grenfell. And this is a quote, 1865 to 1940, founder of the Labrador Medical Mission in 1893, loosely associated with sport, close quote, but with no information at all on Dr. Johnson. Photographs or drawings will be needed of these men when the time comes to cartoon, and therefore we would be grateful for any illustrative information you can lay hold on. Obviously, that was before Google. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. Okay, so just as we are asking the questions of, okay, I've, I've heard of Albert Schweitzer, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I've heard of David Livingston, maybe have, maybe haven't. Those are the two most well-known of these four medical missionaries, right? But Wilfred Grenfell, right? We just got the question a few minutes ago, who is that? Silas Johnson, even their reference librarians, again, these are the reference librarians in England, they're saying, we can't find anything on this Silas Johnson guy, and very, very little on this Wilfred Grenfell. So the question there becomes, why did these people get incorporated into our window here? And it's, I dug and dug and tried to get the answer, and I still don't actually have the answer, but my best guess, we have to understand that this, the money for this window was donated by Dr. Ralph Ramsayer, right, who was a doctor here locally, as the, the notes and the correspondence say, he's a very prominent doctor. <clears throat> so we have to believe that if he was a, a medical doctor in the first half of the 20th century, he, he could very well have come into contact with some of these people. Maybe he went to hear lectures. Maybe he read some of their books. I just don't know that for sure. <clears throat> but being that these were all medical missionaries who constantly were, yes, they were there in their countries, but then they went on the road to raise funding, make people aware, right? You couldn't write a blog in the, the 1950s, right? And make everyone aware of what you're doing. You had to go on back on the road and say, this is what the Lord has called me to do. This is why I am there. Our pretty what? Pretty spots. British spies. Oh, my. Well, Silas Johnson is most definitely not British. He was born in Iowa, but we'll get to that. <clears throat> so then another note from December of 61. Our price to supply... This is from Whipple back to the New Jersey. It says, our price to supply the healing window will be 1,720 pounds gross, Right? So this is way above what the rest of the windows were. Uh, this is about four or five times. The, 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 uh, what dollars meant fluctuated through these years, as they say here. This is more than the previous design, but the area is considerably more, and there has been a sharp increase in costs um, since the initial design was submitted back in 57. So in the course of four years, the price changed some. So then, uh, in this process, it's not exactly easy to figure out when this came from, but um, the, the, um, at some point the design was much more than what we actually have. And it's because that price was a lot more than was expected. So initially... This was the design that we had for the healing window. I'm going to put it up on the easel here in a moment. I'll walk around with it first. But you'll notice particularly in the center panel around Jesus, there's a lot more going on. Now that you've spent a few minutes looking at our depiction of Jesus, what do you notice? What is different now, I'll come around to the other side here. So this, is, this was among the correspondences. It was undated. It was loose. And I had it blown up and put onto this board here. So what do we notice is different about the center? 
panel. Oh, good. I, I've forgotten about that. He has a halo here. He lost the halo somewhere along the way. I don't know what he got himself into, but all around here, this is a little harder to see. It may require you to actually come up. There are angels. There are cherubs all around Jesus, right? And then at the very bottom, if you count them, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 disciples all around him. And then, maybe Tracy, you could say, what's, what's up with Jesus's hands? Are they in this stance? They're both up, and what's in the middle of each of his hands? The wounds are in the original design. Something happened along the way. So I'll put that there. Again, if you want to come up and see this, feel free to move around. You're not offending me if you get up to see something. That's great. So they were, New Jersey was saying, wow, that is a whole lot more than we expected to pay. And I'm sure that very prominent doctor will be a little appalled that the price has gone up so drastically. So he wrote back in January of 62. Again, where were you when? We must simplify the design their only criticism with the window we have, the windows we have installed in the church and chapel, is that the windows, that's these and the ones over there in the chapel, they turned out to be much more elaborate and fussy than the designs. And in this particular window, they want it to be stronger and not too fussy. With the removal of the 11 disciples, the numerous cherubs, and etc., this should enable you to reduce your price considerably. It was eventually brought down by 120 pounds, which was a lot. Um, and we want to reduce the price considerably because the doctor stated that although he may have expected a slight increase, he certainly could not stand the terrific increase of the new design, so there will be less work in the revision. And this is another funny thing about these letters and these correspondences. The very same day, this guy in New Jersey, Fred Weeks, sent a letter to the same guy in, Eng in England. It was a different letter, different letterhead, everything, uh, which so surprised me. Uh, this is a little bit longer one. Would, it, would anyone be interested to read this? Don't all raise your hands at once. Joe. Good voice for the radio. Here we go, Joe. This is... Uh F.C. Weeks, uh, George Payne, to uh, Mr. William Rees, Equipple Company. They point out that the most prominent thing in the window should be the figure of Christ in the center. This should be the ascending Christ triumphant. The figure of Christ should be much larger, say life size, about six to seven feet. The face of Christ should be stronger and look down on the center aisle of the church. There should be no nail marks on the hands and feet. We are to remove all of the cherubs around the figure of Christ. We are to remove the disciples at the feet of Christ, and we are to have some clouds uh, underneath Christ, and perhaps sky as far up as the uh, canopy work. The figures of the doctors are very much liked with the exception of Dr. Schweitzer, uh, as he is the pet, quote unquote, and most famous doctor as far as many people are concerned. And they feel that he should be depicted as a much older man with his hat off, shown full-faced with flowing bushy hair and mustache. In other words, show him as he is today, not as a younger man. Remove the cross from the Negro child and possibly place a tin shed with a thatched roof behind Dr. Schweitzer, which would represent one of his jungle hospitals. In the panel depicting Dr. Livingston, they want one or two small alterations. One being that he was known for making maps and being an astronomer. Therefore, we should show him with a sextant in his hand, sun compass, also made his make his medicine kit more like a knapsack. That is, it should be more prominent. Very good. 
January the 31st, 1962. Wonderful. Thank you, Joe. Okay, so this was, in contrast with some of the other windows, there was a lot, there were a lot of letters back and forth about the particular details. We want Jesus to be such and such, and such a height, between six and seven feet. We want uh, there to be no cherubs around, around Jesus. Simplify it, it's too much money. Um, also, you can see in this original design here, if you step up, that this uh, little African child here with Albert Schweitzer, at one time, his left hand was up to his chest and he held a little cross. Um, for some reason they thought, take that out. And uh, was it in this note? Yes, and they also said there should be no nail marks on the hands or feet, which is funny for the ascension. And I've long pondered, is that, was that a misstep? And I don't know the answer to that. I, I wonder, what does it say about healing? Because do we imagine Jesus to perpetually have these wounds? Are they bleeding wounds? No, there, there, is a, there is a sense that they are healed. I'm not sure all that went into that thought, right? We have half a sentence from one long letter about those wounds being removed. But at one time, right above this phoenix, similar to the churches like the Fire United Methodist Church in Forest City, this window at one time was supposed to have, and they beheld him while he was taken up when their disciples were there. So certainly was ascension from the very beginning. Um, but then when you take out the disciples, you can't leave that in because who is this? They, they're, you know, it's not the missionaries that are looking up at Jesus when he goes up, right? Okay. Uh, and then uh, one last note from uh, January of 63. The church approves the cartoons of, again, cartoon is the technical word for stained glass window design, right? The church approves the cartoons of Dr. Schweitzer and Dr. Johnson, and the only modification needed is that figure of the deer. Apparently, they cannot decipher if it is a deer or a lamb. It needs to have some alteration of the right foot because it's a little unusual. Again, Fred continues saying, I must admit that upon examining the photograph, this animal is an offspring of doubtful parentage. <laughs> so perhaps it should be touched up a little to make it more authentic and natural-looking deer. Apart from this slight criticism, everything seems, seems to be fine. There is no alteration needed at all in the Dr. Grenfell and Dr. Livingston cartoons. Incidentally, I noticed from the stationery that this church has just altered its name. It used to go under the name of First Presbyterian Church. It now is called Christ United Presbyterian Church. If you want those details, it's there on the back of the handout that you should have just gotten. Those are from old session minutes, and you can read about how the vote was taken. Yes, I went through the old session minutes too. Um, and there was, a there was a ballot. Initially, I'll highlight, initially, somebody thought it would be a good idea to call us Christ Presbyterian Church, the UPC in the USA. That is a mouthful. Thank the Lord that was voted down. And then somebody said, how about Christ United Presbyterian Church? So the name of the church was changed July of 61. And the letter I just read was from January of 63. Uh, and, of course, United was later dropped when the merger of the two pre predominant Presbyterian denominations happened. Uh, we all changed our name. But the reason we changed our name was because there was a confusion. There was the first Presbyterian church in North Canton, which people were confused and constantly going to the wrong church, I'm sure. Oh, I'll meet you at First Presbyterian Church. 
And people forgot to say which one. So I'm sure there was confusion all the time. And they and we said, we just both need to change our names. They, of course, became John Knox Presbyterian Church. So that's a little bit there about the story, about how we changed our name. And I think it's quite fitting that we became Christ Presbyterian because, of course, all of our windows, right? Our Christian story is rooted in the story of Jesus the Christ. So it's fitting, right? Okay, now I want to move into a time of talking about these four missionaries. Uh, You have there on your handout some actual photographs of the missionaries themselves. On the top left, you'll notice Dr. Schweitzer And this may be why there was a question of the parentage of this animal. Uh, It's believed that there were antelope there uh, where Dr. Schweitzer served in uh, what would later be uh, Gabon. Uh, Lambarene is where he was. Um, So it's not actually a deer. It's supposed to be an antelope, but I don't think anybody knew that. Uh, And then the best this is the best picture I could find of of Schweitzer with a native child. I don't know if this picture refers, if this, if this actual window refers to a, a real, real picture in the real world or if it's the artist's imagining, right? Um, there on the bottom left, Silas Johnson. Here, we actually have the picture. That was the basis of this window. So this wasn't staged, this wasn't imagined, right? There, is, there are some artistic liberties taken right? Like the very, very background, the road and, and the, the shrubbery behind is a lot more uh, men, intense here in the picture. Uh, simplified some for this design, but that's absolutely uh, how he looked. Then here in the bottom right, this is uh, Dr. Grenfell, who was in Newfoundland and Labrador in what is Canada, um, and couldn't find a picture quite like that one best I could do was find that one there of him standing in the, in the uh, snow. I couldn't find igloos. So, uh, And then the top right, not a lot of pictures of David Livingston, uh, and that is because, of course, he was, of, he was the earliest of all four of these uh, missionaries, right? When he passed away, some of these others hadn't even been born yet, right? So... Um, so this is your reference sheet. Okay, so I want to just focus, I want to focus a little bit of time on each one of these missionaries. So if you want to, if you, if you need some uh, rest for your neck and you want to look forward, that's okay too. You've got a picture of them as you think of who they are and what they did here. If you want to keep looking up, that's great. If you, if you need to rest your neck a little, I understand. So Dr. Wilfred Grenfell. He was born in 1865, so he was born after Livingston had passed, and he was an English medical missionary, maybe an English spy, I don't know, Uh, and he was the tireless benefactor of the people of Labrador. While still a medical student at London University in 1887, he was impressed by the sermons of the American evangelist Dwight L. Moody. And in the same year, he joined the Royal National Mission to Deep Sea Fishermen. During the next five years, he served as a surgeon on the first hospital ship dispatched to the North Sea fisheries. And in 1892, he initiated missionary service to the fishermen there at Labrador. He soon became absorbed in improving the living conditions of the inhabitants of the coast and undertook to raise funds from numerous speaking tours and popular books such as Vikings of Today. You all have read that one, of course. (laughs) Written in 1895, I don't know of it, but whoever was writing that said it was popular and well-known. After withdrawal of the missionaries, uh, mission's support in 1912, uh, Grenfell founded the International Grenfell Association with branches in England, United States, Newfoundland, other parts of Canada. And largely because of this organization's efforts, there existed in Labrador when Grenfell retired in 1932, six hospitals, 
four hospital ships, seven nursing stations, two orphanages, two large schools, 14 industrial centers, and a cooperative lumber mill. He was knighted in 1927. So in his day, even if his name has not here in Ohio or in the States in particular, even if his name has not lived on here, he was very well known in his day, uh, particularly in England and in Canada. There is the Wilfred Grenfell Historical Society and Museum up in Newfoundland. Um, and uh, there's still, the association is still active today. I was actually on the phone with one of them a few weeks ago trying to get a picture that looks like this one. They couldn't find one either. So um, he, he was well known. And if, for those who are interested in ge uh, geography and exploration, both he and Livingston were recipients of the Murchison Prize for uh, exploration. So that's just a little side thing. Then bottom left here, uh, oh, I should also say that I do have some books here on, uh, on the various folks in the window. So this is Wilfred Grenfell, uh, his life and work, if you want to read it. This is the one I didn't get to, so if you want to read this, please enlighten me. Uh, bottom left is Silas Johnson. So born in 1865, the same year, right, as Grenfell, just by chance, I think. He was a Presbyterian doctor who served in and around Cameroon for 40 years. So, right, Grenfell's in, in Newfoundland and Labrador. Johnson is in Cameroon. He established schools, hospitals, and mission churches. Born in Iowa and raised on a farm in Kansas, Johnson eventually ended up studying medicine at what would later become UL, UCLA. On graduation day, one of his mentors presented him with an obstetrical instrument case and asked him to work with his firm. But Dr. Silas, as he was well known in English-speaking circles, he declined because he had already decided to go to Africa. So in late 1894, he and his first wife, Mary, went to Cameroon for the first time. There, Johnson set up medical facilities and treated many patients, and he learned the local language, which is called Bulu. And his daughter, Lois, uh, who actually wrote a book on him, The Great Ngi, which is fabulous, if you can find a copy of it, uh, you can't have mine, that's all I say. Uh, it's really good, it's really good. Um, his daughter writes that, that uh, his gift of mimicry achieved for him an accuracy of tonal reproduction which perfected through the years eventually resulted in his being acclaimed as the best linguist the mission ever produced. So that wasn't his focus. He wasn't a linguist. He was a doctor, but he was so good at speaking Bulu that he was said to be the best that the mission ever produced. And because of his language skills, in addition to seeing patients and doing surgeries, Johnson also helped to perfect translations of the Gospels, to translate, about, I think it was about 10 hymns, and to prepare other Bulu language books for publication. Yes? Great question. So, uh, in the local language, Ngi means gorilla. So, it's just a title, uh, I, I believe, if my memory serves, that it was a title given to witch doctors. Um, but he, if you read the book, he actually had a few run-ins run with the main uh, witch doctor there and pretty much dethroned him uh, because of the modern medicine. And... Uh, so people started calling him by the name that they used to call the witch doctor. Uh, but it was now, you know, recontextualized to be a, a title of, of uh, honor. Yes. So he was concerned with more than medicine, as I've already said. He was also concerned with educating the community. And so uh, Johnson started boarding schools. As the story goes at first, right, this is back in the 1890s, early 1900s, um, at first, he would have to actually pay families, particularly fathers, four yards of bright calico fabric so they would agree to send their children to the school. Isn't that funny? 
Eventually, the deal was reversed, and the fathers then were required to pay tuition for the privilege of sending their boys to school. After having two children, Lois, who was the first and who wrote the book, um, after having those two, Lois and Mary, uh, Silas's first wife passed away in March of 1903. In July of this same year, 1903, the family was stateside and visited Mrs. Lydia B. Good of Worcester, Ohio. And she was the widow of the missionary pioneer to the Bulu people, who actually was the one who had the first go at translating the Gospels. And then Johnson came behind and perfected those translations. So her husband passed. But she was vis- he was with the two girls alone, right? He is now a widower and visiting family and friends back in the States. In Worcester, Ohio, not too far away, right? Born in Iowa, raised in Kansas, called Los Angeles his other home, right? Because Cameroon would be his real home uh, throughout his life. Um, But went to Worcester. And this wasn't the only time. Actually, his girl, some of his children for a time, later, later on, they actually lived in Worcester with Mrs. Lydia Good. Uh, the practice in, the, in this era of missionary ventures was to actually have your children back in the States while you were out on the road. And it happened uh, to a sad degree, but it, it, was, it was common. It was very common. Um, it is believed that on one of these visits, Johnson very well may have crossed paths with Ralph Ramsayer who then chose Johnson as a subject for this window. Johnson was also Presbyterian, part of the antecedent denomination to the PCUSA, so it is possible that he came to Presbytery at once. I I didn't have the time to jump into Presbytery's historical files, too, but uh, it sure is possible. I don't know. Johnson was involved in the establishment of the Presbyterian Church at a lot, and according to daughter Lois, This church there, the Presbyterian Church at a lot, was for many years, until its division into several congregations, this is her claim, I couldn't back this up anywhere, but she claims that it was the largest Presbyterian church in the world at the time, with a membership of over 7,000 communicants. This is back in the 1920s, right, before the idea of a megachurch happened. If nothing else, it was certainly the largest Presbyterian church in Africa that Dr. Johnson helped to uh, support and to start. And I want to just read uh, a few stories right from here. This is, um, yes, I've got the time. I've got time. So this is from, uh, again, from the Great Nki. And this is Lois is telling a story of what happened in 1914. So July of the fateful year of 1914 found Dr. Silas at Buea, the official seat of the German government, high in the mountains towering over Victoria. The future strategy of, the, of advance was outlined. All were to press toward Yaoundé, the geographical center of the colony, even though occupation by by any one of the missions appeared remote at that time. Uh, Let me skip ahead. When it was further realized all telegraphic communications had been cut off, the mission was forced to face the probability that for an indefinite period there would be no mail for them, no imported provisions, no reinforcements, no contact with the outside world. What happened to the world? 1914, First World War. So how did, the, how did the wars affect these missionaries in Africa? They affected them in a big way, right? They were on their own, right? Too many, other, too many big things going on in Europe and around the world. They are on their own. No letters, no provisions, no reinforcements, probably very little money. So they were even in a tighter spot than they were before. At that time, I believe, yes, it was a German protectorate. Um, surely in a few months all would be over and conditions would return to normal. As it turned out, for 18 months, this faraway colony in equatorial Africa was embroiled in the quarrel of the nations of Europe. Within weeks, thousands of men, women, and children of the beautiful villages half-hidden among the coconut trees along the rocky shore were languishing 
in detention centers and detention camps hundreds of miles from their homes, many of them dying in dysentery, of dysentery or malaria. So the native population became part of the war, right? You never hear about what happened in Africa during World War I, World War II. This is, what, this is part of what happened, right? They were thought to be, potentially they could be spies or they could be working for the other guys, you don't know. And so they were put into camps, similar to internment camps with very, very bad conditions. And this is, this is the thing that just tugged, tugged at my heart that Lois writes. And she said, for 20 years, missionaries had been preaching to these Africans the gospel of peace. In response to the mandates of the Prince of Peace, they had laid down their crossbows, they had laid down their knives and poisoned spears, ceased their tribal wars, and had begun learning to value human life. Suddenly, they were confronted with the bewildering spectacle of white men, who, although exposed for centuries to that same gospel of love, were at one another's throats. And black men who had been taught to lay down their arms were commanded to take them up against the white man's defense. Ooh. It's hard to hear, but thank God that Silas Johnson was here in the middle of it and could still speak grace and peace into this. But it is hard. It is hard to see that yet we our systemic uh, challenges and our systemic um, sins don't do well when we preach the gospel. When we preach peace, lay down your, lay down your, your uh, swords, your, your um, poison spears, your crossbows, lay them down. But all the while, that those Christian nations in Europe are at war. One other story, another sad one, but not quite in the same way. Uh, Johnson, and I, I loved this book. I can't say that enough. Uh, and again, you can't have the copy, sorry. Uh, in, on March 4th of 1934, Johnson preached his last sermon in Bulu, his final message to the Africa he loved. And his text was, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Although he was looking, already he was looking heavenward. And on Saturday, March 17th, he lifted his eyes for the last time to the hill of memories, then bidding farewell to Ephulon, he turned away. The following day, he attended the Sunday morning service in the great Elat church, I mentioned a few minutes ago, and he offered closing, the closing prayer, his last prayer ever to be spoken in Bulu land. And on March 27th, at four in the afternoon, he stood motionless on the deck of the SS Maskerk as the anchor was pulled up and the ship began to steam slowly northward. Dokita nom nagi, Dr. Great Nagi. His eyes blurred with tears, watched the blue hills and silver sands of the Cameroon coastline recede from view. And when there was nothing left but a thin, dark line between sky and sea, he said softly with aching throat, Mekeya abone bam taba am voye. I have gone, oh my children, stay in peace. And on April 19th of 1936, God granted his wish to take him to himself. So thank God for the ministry of Dr. Silas Johnson. Now let us move on to consider the ministry of Dr. David Livingston on the top right there. So Livingston, as I said before, uh, 1813 uh, 18 to 1873, he was the earliest of all four of these medical missionaries. He was Scottish Christian Congregationalist, pioneer medical missionary with the London Missionary Society, an explorer in Africa, and one of the most popular British heroes of the 19th century Victorian era. He had this almost mythical status um, be, on, on interconnected levels. He was, yes, a Protestant missionary martyr, working class rags to riches 
inspirational story. He was also a scientific uh, innovator, investigator, explorer, imperial reformer, anti-slavery crusader, and advocate of commercial and colonial expansion. Wow. He did a lot of things. He had his fingers in a lot of pies. And so it's really hard to, in a few minutes, to capture all that he did. Uh, his fame as an explorer and his obsession with learning the sources of the Nile was founded uh, on the belief that if he, if he could solve the age-old mystery, his fame would give him the influence to end the East African Arab Swahili slave trade. So he had this desire. Uh, to, yes, he was a missionary. In some ways, it, it's a little unclear exactly how much he did. In relation to the others, he was, yes, a missionary, but he was many more other things too, particularly the explorer. In the last decade of his life, he really wanted to find what is the source of the Nile? I didn't realize this. Again, I'm not, I love geography, not the best history buff. You wouldn't believe it, maybe, but um, this, the source of the Nile was not known at this point, right? And the interior of Africa hadn't really been explored. So he really wanted to be the one to discover what that source was. So he, with a team, uh, went in, and he took a long time. He was near the point of death many, many times. But he did this. He, he wanted to sacrifice his life to find this out because he thought, if I do this, I will gain even more influence to be able to stop this slave trade. So, uh, he is also well known for being one of the first Westerners to make the transcontinental journey across Africa, 1854 to 56. Uh, and as I said a moment ago, during these practically solo adventures to find the source of the Nile through many years and many bouts of malaria and other diseases, um, many assumed, throughout the world, many people assumed, oh, he's got, he totally died. We're not getting any letters from him. Well, what they didn't realize was he was passing, they didn't have the thing like a post office where he was, right? He's in the middle of the bush. Nobody, there's no post office where he could send letters back to his friends in England. So he would see a passing caravan and say, here's a letter. Could you take this for me? And when you go to that big city, Ujiji, down the road, can you please, please take, put that, take that to the back post office? Well, many of these caravans were slave traders, and they knew that he, he didn't like them. So what did they do with the letters? They tossed them. So many of his letters for years were never, ever delivered. He kept writing, writing, writing. They never got there. And people kept writing to him, but they never got to him, right? So thank God for modern technology, right? Uh, realizing the difficulty of communication back and then makes me, real, makes me thankful. So everyone's assumed he's dead. Henry Morton Stanley, who was a reporter for the New York Herald, was sent pretty much on a suicide mission uh, to Africa to find Livingston, to bring home proof that he was still alive. Finally, after a long search, Stanley found Livingston in the town of Ujiji on the shores of Lake Tanganyika on the 10th of November, 1871. Where were you when? <laughs> Nobody? Okay. Uh, and, and Stanley, this reporter, then greeted Livingston with the now famous words, Dr. Livingston, I presume? Okay, we know that one. And Livingston, of course, responded, yes, I feel thankful that, that I'm here to welcome you. It's believed these may just be a tradition. It's not really sure if these were ever actually spoken. But the tradition and the, the story of Livingston lives on. Just a two years later, uh, he was still in Africa. He never made it home. Um, two years later, Livingston died. And there's this beautiful story um, how he has two loyal attendants who could have just taken his body and simply buried it near the village, but they knew, they knew that he wanted to return to England. And so they embarked on one final exhausting journey with the body of Livingston on a mission to carry him back to England. Uh, I'm going to skip over a few of these here. Um, essentially, he they found a local who was, I don't know if he was a doctor, but he was knew how to bury people and bury them well. 
and I'll spare you the gory details, but essentially they, they preserved him with salt. But first they took out some of his organs, and one of those organs, and I promise I'm leaving out the gory details, they took out his heart, and they buried it there. They buried his heart there, but the rest of his body, preserved in salt, preserved very well, the doctors in England were amazed uh, when he actually arrived, uh, he was then led to Westminster Abbey, where he was eventually buried in 1874. Okay, we've got about oh, eight minutes, seven minutes uh, for Dr. Albert Schweitzer. So among these four, Schweitzer is probably the most well-known. He was a polymath who had three PhDs. Imagine that. I don't even have one. He had three? That is not fair. He had a PhD in music. He had a PhD in theology. And he had a PhD in medicine. And when the healing window was installed in 1963, Schweitzer was the only one of these four who were still living. He would die just a few years later in 1865 at the age of 90. In his personal life, Schweitzer was the son of a Lutheran pastor and born in Alsace in 1875. He was born German, but, you know, in that time the borders switched a lot uh, and would later become France, and his family spoke both German and French. He married Hélène Breslau, who would eventually serve alongside him as a nurse, and they had one daughter in 1919, Rena Schweitzer, who would later marry and also add Miller as a surname. As a musician, Schweitzer was an accomplished organist with Charles Marie Vieter as one of his main teachers. Now, we all know Vieter, right, because he's the one who composed that song we always hear every Easter. Uh, Schweitzer also gave organ recitals around Europe to raise money for his medical mission abroad. He published several books on music, uh, including J.S. Bach, the poet-musician, uh, being his most acclaimed. He made waves in the music community when he published this. Um, people thought he was, he was uh, incredible. And he also uh, co-edited several Bach music manuscripts with Vidor, right? So this comes from the library of Dr. David Kinzel. Thank you, David, wherever you are. Uh, there we are. So he was an incredible musician, but that's not all. There's more. Behind door number two, we see that theologian Schweitzer wrote extensively on a field that we don't, we don't talk too much about in church, but you talk a lot about in seminary, uh, the historical Jesus, right? If you want this, it's, um, it's yours. No, uh, you can't have this one either, sorry. Uh, he wrote The Quest for the Historical Jesus, and this uh, is an attempt to reconstruct the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus by critical historical methods. Thinking, the thinking there in the early 20th century was the Gospels are all concerned about Jesus' life and story and Jesus as Lord. But what really happened? Tell me the, like, what's really behind these people who, you know. So that's the quest. It was controversial then. It's still controversial now. Um, but continuing as a theologian, he's most well remembered for his phrase, reverence for life which can be summarized to say that no person must ever harm or destroy life unless absolutely necessary. And this attitude permeated everything that he did. In his interior life, Schweitzer came to believe that a Christian should devote their lives fully to God. And seeking to live out this belief, he stated that the first half, he thought 30 years, of his life would be his own. And the last half, a remainder, which would actually be 60 years, would be God's. So at the age of 30, he started turning his heart towards serving God's kingdom and eventually went to serve as a doctor in what is now Gabon. Uh, however, despite his lifelong devotion to Jesus, because of some of his books that he published, no missionary society would support him. His theological views were too unorthodox. So instead of going to serve as a missionary, Schweitzer went as a doctor to serve in Jesus' name. So to that end, Schweitzer enter, entered medical school, a field for which he had little previous knowledge, right? Music, theology, and medicine. 
Uh, he added it because he knew that would be helpful in the field. He specialized in tropical medicine and set off for French Equatorial Africa to become a doctor. And he founded in 1913. Where were you when? Nobody? Nobody? Okay. Um, actually, we may have a few. No, we don't. I don't think so. Not in the class. Um, he founded a well-renowned hospital in Lamberene, which is still active today. The area where he served in ministry is now known as Gabon, I said a moment ago. And he served a majority of the remainder of his life there in Lamberene. And he became internationally renowned for his work. And he even earned the Nobel Peace Prize in 1952. And this is for a lot of his work, but also he was um, an outspoken advocate of nuclear disarmament or, you know, stop the nuclear bomb, right? This is in the aftermath of World War II. And when he died in 1965, his daughter Rena took over for the hospital, at the hospital for him for several years. And Schweitzer, along with his wife, his wife uh, Elena, are buried on a cemetery near to the hospital where he devoted his life to serving the least of these. I have some quotes from this book, but I think maybe I'll save these on Schweitzer for next week if we have the time. Um, here's a, a great little volume I picked up called Albert Schweitzer Essential Writings. Uh, it is a phenomenal little book, and if, you, if you're a musician and you want to read on Schweitzer, you've, you've got that in here. If you're a theologian, you want to, you've got that in here. And the medical stuff, too. You've all got it, right? Because he's a complicated guy. But I want to leave a few minutes, um, I've got two, two, three minutes, uh, to ask questions. What are you thinking? How has, now that you know the stories of these fine men uh, and medical missionaries, servants of God, how, uh, how are, how's your experience of the healing window changed? Is it, is it improved? Is it deepened? Is it um, questions, thoughts, comments? Yeah, Roger. That's an unofficial title, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All four are medical missionaries. Absolutely. Miriam? When I was in grade school, I did an original oratory on Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so next week I'm canceling class, and we're going to have... <laughs> yeah, if she can remember her play on Albert Schweitzer, that would be great. An oratory, you said? Original oratory. Original. Whoa, look at that. Jack? As far as I'm aware, he donated the money for the whole of the window, and he specifically chose who would go in it. That is my understanding from the, the correspondence. It's, it's not, the link isn't entirely clear, but he gave the money for it, and Whipple didn't know who some of these folks were, so my guess is, is the choice for who these four were came from the church. That's a great question. What was it? Was it Ralph? Was it uh, George Parkinson? I have no idea, quite frankly. Thoughts, questions? Yes, Carol? Uh, Dr. Ramsayer was my gynecologist when I was pregnant with, Mary, with Chris. And um, Dr. Ramsayer was my gynecologist when I was pregnant with our first daughter, Chris. Mm -hmm. And his partner in the practice was just fed up with his window because he said, all kinds of calls from all over the world, fussing about the colors of the glass, fussing about this, fussing about that. He's not focused anymore. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Wow. I didn't, okay, so I didn't know what Ralph Ramsayer's specialty was, so that actually helps a little because Silas Johnson, who went to UCLA, remember graduation day, they hand him this obstetrical case and say, come to work for me. Perhaps that's another link, why they may have crossed paths. That's good to know. Joe? And one of the stories that, that uh, Dr. Lewis said that he was really upset with Dr. Ramsayer because he kept looking for the right picture of Jesus because he wanted <laughs> to have the picture of Jesus that he had in his third grade Sunday school book. Oh, my. And he, he looked and looked and looked until he found the right Jesus. Wow. The right Jesus. Dave, remember that for a sermon title, would you? The Right Jesus. There you go. There you go. Friends, I, w I, I have much more to talk about, but we are out of time. I will uh, give you a heads up. For next week, we are going to 
be in the chapel space. So uh, if you are an 8 a.m. person, you can just stay there. You don't even have to come down. We are going to start and have the whole class over there. We're going to have to do some shifting of the pews there. Uh, but we're going to particularly be talking about those twin windows that are there into the courtyard, uh, which were just beautifully redone, right? Cleaned and reset and all. Um, before we break and depart, uh, I thank you for your your attendance and your participation today. It is great to have you all here and consider the ways that God has blessed us with beauty all around. So before we depart, let us go to God in prayer. Almighty Father, we are thankful, God, for the the building that you have uh, put around us so that we can come together as a community to worship you. We thank you, God, that the beauty around us enables us to, to be drawn heavenward. May our minds, through these, the beauty of this art, be drawn ever closer to you. Use it to your glory, God. And may we give thanks today for your Son, Jesus Christ, and how your Holy Spirit has called missionaries through the ages, like Albert Schweitzer and Silas Johnson, Wilfred Grenfell, and David Livingston. We thank you, Lord, for your children and the gifts that you have brought to the world through their hands. We give this day over to you, asking you to use us for your service. In Jesus' name, amen.